My dad died. I miss my friends because of... I don't know how to tell my friends that. I want to help my friends. I don't know how. The pandemic has left me feeling very lonely. How can I best support students in my classroom? The morning meeting is meant to be a place to let you know that you are not alone. We can get through this together. So join us. Listen, learn, share your stories. This is the morning meeting. Hi, and welcome to the morning meeting. I'm the host of the show, Mandy Zucker. Today, I'm talking with Dr. Amy Novotny. She's the founder of the PABR Institute with the mission to provide pain, stress, and anxiety relief to those who seek a naturalistic form of treatment when other treatment methods have fallen short. Her unique approach comes from her experience treating in a variety of settings and with a wide range of patient populations over the past 12 years. Her background in orthopedics, sports, geriatrics, balance disorders, nerve injuries, and most recently chronic pain, and influences from coursework in the Postural Restoration Institute gave her the foundation to develop this treatment method to address a wide variety of painful and restrictive conditions. Her methods have helped countless people reduce and eliminate pain, stress, anxiety, orthopedic surgeries, sleep issues, and the need for medications. She's co-authored two Amazon number one best-selling books, Don't Quit, Stories of Persistence, Courage and Faith, and Success Habits of Super Achievers, which shares her journey on how and why she developed the PABR method. Her ability to speak French and Spanish have allowed her to communicate with and help various clients from all around the world. She has a variety of interests, including running over 40 marathons, running 10 ultra marathons, including two 100 milers, completing an Ironman triathlon, photographing wildlife and landscapes all over the world that has led to several of her images being chosen as photos of the day, most notably in the National Geographic Your Shot World Top Photo of the Day. I encourage you to sit back and relax for this episode. Dr. Novotny will take us through a series of breathing exercises that you may want to do as she describes them. So get comfortable and join us. So hi, Amy. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks, Mandy. I really appreciate jumping on here, sharing with your audience and being of service to all of you guys. You have a really interesting take um, an interesting perspective. So I think it will be a really cool conversation today. Why don't you tell us a little bit about you and what you do? Sure. Um, I'm Dr. Amina Botney. I got my doctorate in physical therapy uh, back in 2009, and I went along the traditional route of sports, orthopedics, chronic pain, helping people just be able to move better and get out of pain. And then at the same time, I started the crazy habit of running marathons and trying to qualify for certain races, and I want to qualify for Boston. So about seven years ago, I started experimenting and taking courses in asymmetries in our body and breathing, basically our diaphragm, looking at the anatomy physiology of the diaphragm and how that actually impacts asymmetries in our body that influence pain. Now, at the time, you know, it's very fascinating information. I started implementing some of the techniques, but one of the things that I really resonated with me was breathing. 
I started experimenting on my own breathing, playing with it while I was running on a treadmill. And I noticed something magical happened. And I didn't know if this was something that everyone knew or if it was just me showing up late to the game, but I could feel my body calmed down when I changed my breathing in a certain way. The tightness from running went away. I didn't have to stretch. I didn't have to roll. I didn't have to scrape. I didn't have to do all these things that I would typically tell as a physical therapist to someone to do. And so I realized there was a shift and it took a little bit of time to figure out what exactly was that shift. So I started experimenting more, playing with it, started experimenting on some patients at the time. And I realized it wasn't just the breathing itself that was a powerful thing. It was the fact that I was calming down my nervous system, that fight or flight mode that ramps up, that allows me to change my breathing and calm myself down to exist in a different state. By just changing my breathing, I dropped seven minutes off my next marathon time. And then a few months later, another seven minutes. And for those who run marathons, that's a huge chunk of time for no other changes in training. I mean, I blew past the Boston qualifying marks, all of that. And so I knew I was onto something. And I realized in the middle of marathons, I could actually get rid of the pain as I was running by changing the way I positioned my rib cage, which affected my breathing and also calmed down my nervous system. And it turned into, if you imagine that coyote and the roadrunner and the roadrunner's running and its legs are moving, but the body still, that's literally how I felt. Wow. And I knew I was onto something. I had to start teaching other people. That's incredible. Yeah. But, but yes. what does that have to do with grief? So here we are yes. talking about a podcast about grief. And right. what does breathing and calming your nervous system do for people who are grieving? Absolutely. And I'm glad that you are tying this back in because what happens and what I figured out was when you could get people out of pain, like a physical pain, there was an emotional tie to it that often got released. So I looked at it first from, okay, physical, get rid of their body that's being tight and bound up. It helps the mental. But then I started switching it and working with clients who were emotionally bound up, mentally and emotionally stressed, something like grief, and helped them calm down their body. Because what happens is when you're going through a trauma, a death, and you have grief, those emotions, as we're processing them, or even if we're pushing them aside, they get stored in our body. There's certain areas in our body where we hold on to that grief, specifically that breastbone area, the armpit area, right under the breastbone, that xiphoid process, especially also in the front of your hips. And so what happens then is we get tighter or we feel pressure. And when that happens and we get stuck or we become stagnant, it doesn't allow us to progress and move through the grief. Now, of course, we all have our own time frames on how we want to grieve, what that looks like, but we also need to be cognizant of what happens to our physical body that imprints in us and keeps us stuck when we want to move on. Not necessarily to forget that person, to forget that trauma, but to not let it change our brain neurochemistry and to allow it to, you know, overwhelm our daily life. So we like deal with the trauma. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. So we can use breathing to help us exist in that trauma or in that pain. Of the grief. It reminds me a little bit 
it's almost like, you know how some people will say, like I always say, I'm not a big um, medication pusher. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people will say like, I think I'm depressed because they're grieving. And then they think maybe I should go on an antidepressant or something. Yeah. And I always say like, medication's not going to remove the grief. No. But sometimes for some people, I would say medication can help them to uh, to allow them to be able to process the grief. And Absolutely. I feel like maybe that's what you're saying is that breathe some of these techniques that you're going to talk to us about allow you to be in a place where you can actually process that. Absolutely. Yes. So what happens is we have a nervous system in our body called our autonomic nervous system. It com- It's composed of three parts, the enteric, which is our gut and digestion, the parasympathetic, which is rest, digest, relaxation, and sympathetic nervous system, which is that fight, flight, or freeze mode. Now, when we're going through grief, we're in major sympathetic mode. We can't help it. Everything about us, you know, it stops. The world stops. We don't care about anything. We just hurt. Mm-hmm. And as that happens, the longer you spend in that state of high sympathetic mode, your body is slowly changing. Besides the cortisol levels that we know goes up, what happens in your muscles is an actual change in the way they work and function. So when you have that grief, your muscles start to tighten up all throughout your body. We may recognize it, we may not recognize it if that grief is so severe and we're in that high of a state of just panic or anxiety, we not may not feel that change. If we can recognize there is going to be a sympathetic state change in our physical body and we know some tools to help ward that off or to minimize it or mitigate it, we can then have some control back over our bodies. And the nice thing about what I teach is it doesn't require a lot of mental strength or mental thinking in the sense that it's not complicated. It's not a math problem. It's not a scientific problem. It's focusing on certain aspects of your body and going through a specific breathing process and body position process that allows you to do it while your mind is still mourning. So can you take us through a little bit of Absolutely. that? Absolutely. And yeah. also, and before you do, I'm just wondering, like, is this something that people should be doing like all the time when they're in math class or when they're <laughs> sitting in front of the therapist? You know, when yeah. is this type of, you know, posturing, breathing mm-hmm. appropriate? So I actually say all the time. Okay. Because grief is a form of fight or flight mode that's at the most extreme. But we have different stressors in our daily life that still push us up into that fight or flight mode. And we need to have skills to bring us back down. Because if we can bring ourselves back down and have that control and that empowerment over our body, then some of these severe stressors, trauma, death, we have a little bit more tools to make sure our extreme doesn't become so high. Okay. Okay. So we're going to go through now, I'll go through kind of just some of the principles and talk to you about that and then give you suggestions. Okay. So I want to talk a little bit about how we position our body because that determines a lot about our state. When you think about good posture, we're taught from very little chest out, shoulders back, suck up your gut. I'm going to go against that and talk to you about why you don't want to do that. So when you suck up your gut and puff out your chest, what happens is you now change the position of your rib cage 
So it tilts up and you become a hinge off of your low back. That cues your back muscles to start to contract. The problem with that is in your back, in the longer spine, is that fight or flight nervous system. So if you have muscles that are constantly contracting and pushing on that nervous system, it tells them kick in. And you can feel that. So if you're sitting there right now and you sit in your best posture, stick your chest out, suck up your gut, you can feel your back muscles kick in and you can start to feel tension in your body. Some can feel it, some can't, but that's what happens. Mm -hmm. Now, if you sit back, allow your low back to relax, let your belly spill out, you can feel some of that tension go away. Now, that tension that you felt go away, that's one way to help reduce that fight or flight mode. There is underlying tension though that you can't even feel that's still in your body even if you felt relaxation between those two states that I just talked to you about so we have to get you to recognize how to use your body to release the tension that builds up from physical mental emotional challenges and grief okay Mm -hmm. so if we're sitting in a chair we're going to go through a little exercise sitting we're going to have you experience something and I'll kind of explain some of the science behind it a little bit, just kind of just to give you an idea of why we're doing what we're doing. So if you sit back in your chair, everyone go ahead and sit back in your chair, let your low back relax, let your upper back relax into the chair back as well, and let your tailbone tuck underneath you. So you may feel your body just kind of learning to relax. Sitting is innately a position of relaxation and we've turned it into an exercise. So it's a conflicting thought in our brain. I'm supposed to be resting, but now you're telling me to exercise and I'm supposed to do this over a long period of time. So we're creating a conflict in our body. So we're gonna take away that conflict and let sitting be a position of rest and relaxation. Now, your knees and your hips, we wanna get those to match what we just did with our back. So if you look at your knees right now, we want them at the height of your hip crease or higher. And what that does, it allows your back to relax more. Okay, so we're working on relaxing the back to turn off the muscle contraction that's pinching on that fight or flight nervous system. When you have your knees higher, it allows this process to happen. For for anyone who is on the shorter side or the chair is too tall, I tell people use platforms, books, pieces of wood, anything you can to put under your feet to get them higher. It's a radical change and so much of body pain and stress is shifted just by that alone. I have to say that, you know, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago Uh um, and I'll I'll call myself vertically challenged. Uh um, I've always kind of had something underneath my feet because I Mm -hmm. don't reach the floor, Um, but I've raised it even more since I spoke to you and I have felt a difference in like the the way that my body just feels, it does feel more relaxed. Yeah, yeah. And the more we can spend in our day allowing ourselves to relax, that takes away energy that we were expending and wasting on just sitting. It allows us to use that energy to heal, to process the trauma that we're going through, to allow us to think and to, to create and to put towards our future. So I'm glad that you mentioned you can feel that difference because it is a big thing. I can't tell you how many people whose lives have transformed just by that tip alone. Get your knees slightly higher than your hips. Right. But I do have another question. I mean, you know, this is a podcast, so people can't yeah. see But I can see you as we're doing this interview. And your posture looks good. 
Like you don't look hunched over. You don't look like your shoulders are sagging. And from a little bit of what you're describing, it sounds like you should be like a little bit, you know, um, people can't see, <laughs> but um, yeah. you know, like Passed not out. talking about being like, like with using no muscle to, to sit up right. at all. Right. And what it is that I'm shifting people out of, we lift our rib cage up and to suck up our guts. And I'm going to be brutally honest to make ourselves look skinnier and to make ourselves feel stronger or more confident. We do it to an excess. And as we go through this breathing process in a second, you'll see it. You'll see a little bit of what I'm talking about is right now, for those who can't see me, my rib cage is down. My shoulders are in a natural position and I am standing upright. Mm -hmm. I'm not sticking out my chest, shoulders back, puffing up my chest, which is what a lot of us do, or we, we start there and then we compensate on top of that by sticking our pelvis forward. So then we have the sway back posture. So there's, there's compensations on top, top of compensations that lock up our body. Mm-hmm. And it isn't until someone points it out to us and I do sessions in Zoom with people and I record it. Then I say, here, here's the recording. Look at yourself. I'm gonna analyze you and pull you apart. Now you can see where your body is storing all of your mental, emotional trauma. And you can see how you hold yourself. Right. So when people look at me right now, I'm in a very relaxed posture standing. I have a gentle curvature in my upper back, a gentle curvature in my low back. I'm not trying to make any of them flat. I'm not trying to arch my low back, stick out my butt or anything like that. I let my rib cage drop down and it stays dropped down because it it's a, gives me a sense of calm. It balances me. It grounds me. I don't rely on my back now to stabilize me. I use my rib cage to stabilize me. And there's, I just want to touch on one misconception about core strength to provide stability is people often think core strength means tighten everything up. It doesn't mean that. It means keep your ribs down and use your side abs to help hold them down. But you have the ability to twist and turn and your, your belly button's loose because you can do that. Your back is using a, li- a little bit of muscles, but not much. So all of this is, is related to stability for when you're going through something that's so emotionally charged. Because when you're in grief, you don't know what stability feels like. Mm-hmm. I've been through that many times. I couldn't find anything that could stabilize me. And this was before I was started developing all this. Yeah. And it's actually why I started developing a lot of this is I couldn't find a way to ground myself. I couldn't find a way to calm myself down after my mom passed away suddenly. And I needed a way to do that. And so I started diving into what I knew, which was about the body. And I realized that I was holding stuff in my body that didn't allow me to process. And that actually took my health to lower and lower levels because I couldn't free myself up. And so as soon as I started realizing, okay, I'm stuck. I have to shift. What impact can I make? I am still going through this trauma mentally and emotionally about the loss of someone very important in my life, but what can I control? I can control my body. I can control how those emotions are infecting my body. So let me start there. And so you start to shift and once you gain a little bit of control over something it gets you that next level of relief Mm -hmm. and you just build on it and you start to feel this calm in you. 
This podcast is brought to you by Inner Harbor, providing support and education to grieving students everywhere. Inner Harbor provides workshops and trainings for staff and students, teaching you how to support other grievers. So if you are interested in learning more about how we can educate your class, your fraternity, your sorority, your team, your club, or your agency, go to www.inner-harbor.org to learn more. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter and check out all of the other services we offer. If you're enjoying the podcast, you can also sponsor an episode by checking out the sponsorship page on the website. And if you're feeling extra generous, you can go to Apple or Audible Podcasts and leave a review. Now back to the show. Let's go through the the actual breathing exercise because then that can help explain some of the other stuff as well. Good. So now we're in this position where we're sitting back in our chair, tailbones curled under us, knees are a little bit higher than our hips. Our heels are grounded on the floor. So we feel the floor. Now, next thing is put one hand on the chest, one hand on the belly and let your belly hang out. Let it just spill out, okay? The belly button is your gatekeeper. When you suck that gut up and in, you now lift your ribs and you lock yourself. What happens is you create this hourglass of energy in your body where you have a bottleneck at your midsection and you're closed off. We want to take your rib cage, make it back into a cylinder so it's stable, strong, and open. We have to let that belly button open up so the rib cage can drop down. Now we're going to use our hands to help us sense a change in our body and to help us sense what's happening in our belly and our chest. Now we're going to go through a breathing process, and this is the beginning stages I teach everyone I work with because it is so powerful that sometimes people only need this. Sometimes they need more, but this can get people very far away. We're going to put one hand on the chest, one hand on the belly. We're going to go through four steps for breathing. We're going to start easy and then get more complicated. Now with the four steps, I'm going to describe them first. And then we're just going to practice those before I start telling you other things to do. The steps are breathing in through the nose, pausing a second, blow out through the mouth, then pause and hold your breath for three seconds. Okay. We're going to do that just to get into that rhythm so people get used to breathing that way. And then I'm going to talk to you about doing other things related to that. Okay. So here we go. Close your eyes if you want to, if you're sitting there listening You don't need any visual stimulation. Here we go. We're going to do gentle breath in your nose to your throat. Pause and blow out through your mouth. Hear the air coming out of your mouth as a whoosh. And hold your breath. Hold your breath. And breathe in. Gentle breath in your nose. Feel the air going in passively. Pause and blow out through your mouth. Hear the whoosh as you blow out. Hold, hold, and breathe in. Gentle breath in. Feel the air go in passively through your nose and blow out. Let your chest now melt in as you blow out. Hold, hold, and breathe in. 
Gentle breath in your nose to your throat. Pause and blow out. Feel your chest melt away from your hand as your belly spills out into your other hand. Hold and breathe in. Gentle breath in your nose to your throat, keeping your shoulders relaxed. Pause and blow out. Feel your chest melt in. Feel the armpits relax as your collarbones drop down. Hold and breathe in. Gentle breath in your nose to your throat. Think passive and easy. Pause and blow out. Feel your chest melt in. Ribs are dropping down as your belly spills out. Hold and breathe in. Gentle breath in your nose to your throat. Feel the air going in without effort. And blow out. Chest melts in. Feel it sinking away from your shirt as your belly spills out. Low back relaxes. Hold and breathe in. Feel the air go in without effort and blow out. Chest melts in. Let that low back go. Butt cheeks open up. Tailbone drops down. Hold and breathe in. Gentle breath in your nose to your throat. Think air without effort and blow out. Chest melts in. Feel that low back let go. Butt cheeks open up. Hold and breathe in. Feel the air go in to your throat, to your lungs, and blow out. Chest melts in. Feel your ribs drop as your armpits relax. Hold and breathe in. Feel the air go in without effort, without pushing, and blow out. Feel your breastbone melt under your hand as you exhale. Belly spills out, low back relaxes. Hold and breathe in. Gently breathe in your nose to your throat without effort. Pause and blow out. Feel the chest melt in. Your low back lets go, belly spills out. Hold and breathe in. Keep those ribs relaxed as you inhale gently. Pause and blow out. Feel the breastbone melting away from your hand, away from your shirt as you exhale. Hold and breathe in. Feel the air go in passively without effort. Pause and blow out. Hear the air come out of your mouth as your chest drops down, the wave goes down your body. Hold and take a break. So with that, one, I hope those of you who are able to go through that whole exercise, you can feel a little bit more relaxed or a little bit of calm. Some people describe it as they're sleepy or they're kind of in a daze. But some of the sensations that I would like to have you feel, and if you didn't, this is something to work on, is when you exhale, you want to feel like your chest is melting in that that pressure in your breastbone that comes with trauma and grief, you want to feel like you're chinking at the armor, that it's slowly going away, that you feel it melt, that you feel your belly from the bottom of your ribs on down to your pubic bone. You feel it start to open. 
at first it's going to feel very vulnerable. You may feel very scared. There may be some emotions that come with it. But what happens is you start to open up and you realize there is stability there. There is this openness and you can use it to create something new. That the breastbone that was holding all that pressure, it can start to release. It can start to let go. That you can allow yourself to cry, to scream, to smile. That you can start to allow these emotions to come through because you're not stuck. Do you find that when, first of all, I have a question first. Sure. I don't, I wasn't counting when you just did Mm -hmm. that exercise. Is there a certain number of times that you should take yourself through that exercise for it to be most effective? So I tell people, try to do it for about five minutes. Okay. When you first start, that you may be so stuck, it may take longer to feel a change in your body. The goal is to feel a change in your body, to feel the ribs drop down, bellies fill out. The longer you practice, you're going to feel more changes. So even two minutes are beneficial. If you're sitting at a stoplight, you're in a safe position, there's no cars around or anything, you can practice this for those two minutes, you might feel a benefit. Okay. And the more you do it, the faster it will come as well. So what you're describing, it doesn't sound like what you're saying is that this activity is going to, you know, relieve you from all of the feelings and trauma that you've experienced. It's going to allow you to express them. It allows you to express them. There is the potential that it will help you relieve them as well. Okay. I, um, I work with many women with um, trauma and abuse from their childhood. Mm -hmm. And what happens typically is they feel a release that they actually feel it free up and they don't have to deal with it again. So there is that aspect as well that comes with it. Mm -hmm. Not not everyone responds the same, but that is definitely a potential for people who practice this. I do feel like, you know, as I was listening to you, I was, I'm thinking about times when I felt either grief or, you know, just incredible stress in my life. And I do, I am aware of the fact that my body is very tense. Mm -hmm. And if I'm talking about it with someone who I don't necessarily feel safe with, it definitely feels tighter. Um, And I am aware of when I feel like I am in a more safe space that my body does relax. Absolutely. Um, I never put together that I had control over making my body relax. I always just kind of felt like it's my protection right now. I need it um, because I don't feel comfortable. But the reality is we could teach ourselves we are safe. There's nothing happening. Where even if we're in a room with people that we don't know or we don't necessarily trust, we can still have control over our body. Absolutely. And even to add to that is you have control over your body, which will affect your energy and your mind and how you perform in that situation. It's incredibly empowering. Incredibly. (laughs) Yeah. So that's kind of, that is the basis. There's more to it. There's more techniques and add-ons to it, but that helps people. And the reason we want the rib cage down because we get out of that hinged posture and it allows us to have that stability at the same time, that openness to allow us to free ourselves up. Also getting the rib cage down allows us to access our diaphragm in a better way. So it stimulates the vagus nerve to calm us down. Hmm. So when your rib cage is elevated in front and you're sucking up your gut, 
you are now shifting to a shorter, shallow breath pattern that tells your brainstem to you are in fight or flight mode. So your breathing reflects that. And one way I'll have people practice, and I do this on myself too when I'm talking in groups in person, is I'll suck up my gut and lift up my chest. And most people can tell that I'm now short of breath. I'm not using my diaphragm the way I was. And now in order to get air in, I have to lift up my ribs using my neck, shoulders, and back or intercostal muscles. And then now that creates more tightness. That's also going to create more stress and tension. And it doesn't allow us to relax, to allow us to process emotional mental trauma. So that rib cage being down shifts us to allow us to use our diaphragm better, which stimulates the vagus nerve and also tells our brainstem, no, we're not in fight or flight mode. So everything is interwoven and putting these little pieces together can really help transform your body and your ability to handle grief. Hmm. Yeah. I so appreciate all of that. I think so many people can benefit. I mean, it's just Mm -hmm. such a simple, um, probably not that simple, but, but the practice is everybody could do it. So, um, you know, we could all learn something just from listening to this podcast today. Uh, and you can take home something to actually, to help yourself immediately. Yes. It's, it's simple to listen to. It's hard to implement and retrain your body and nervous system. Hmm. So that's why when I tell people to practice, do Five minutes throughout the day when you first wake up, it's a great time because we go through a lot of emotions with dreaming and sleep. So start your day by calming yourself down. Mm. Then before lunch, calm yourself down after your morning activities. Before dinner, calm yourself down after those afternoon activities. And then right before you go to bed, calm yourself to allow you to get into that parasympathetic state so that you can rest and sleep in a more peaceful state. I have to say, this is especially important right before you go to sleep because I'll do this on myself. When I was going through trauma, I put my hand on my chest and all I thought about was blow out and melt my breastbone in, release that. And I could feel as soon as I did that, I could feel myself falling asleep and allowing myself to let go that I was in control of my safe space mm-hmm. and something that we can all do. We can have the empowerment over our bodies. I was just thinking how empowering. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, how can people get in contact with you if they want to do sure. more of this or learn more about it? Yeah, absolutely. So I recommend people reach out to me. I'll give out my email. And the reason I say that is I have a lot of free resources out there, but I like to take you know, 15 minutes, we can do a call or email me, let me know what you want. So that way I can target the resources I have to your needs. It's amy, A-M-Y, at paberinstitute.com. That's P-A-B-R institute.com. So that stands for Pain Awareness Breathing Relief. Thank you. You're welcome. One other question I always ask people at the end of my podcast, how are you doing, um, you know, in the middle of this Hopefully not the middle, but um, towards the end of this pandemic, how are you taking good care of yourself and um, how have you gotten through this? So 
part of it, so when the pandemic first hit, I'll be honest, I was in shock like everyone else. I had my time of mourning and grief related to that because I did have an in-person practice um, that was 75% in-person, 25% virtual, and I had to pivot all to virtual. And I realized the benefit of doing virtual is so much greater for all of my clients because I'm forcing them to learn. And I can give them a video of what we did which allows them to watch it as many times as they want to really understand the skill and to have this tool in their back pocket. So once I realized I could turn this into a positive, things changed and shifted and it became about how can I help more people? How can I get this message out? How can I reach more audiences to empower more people? Mm. And also along with that, because you know we get Zoom fatigue and tired of being in front of the screens, I had to restructure my life. So I you know, I get up in the morning, I do some breathing, I go out and I run or hike and I spend time in nature so that I am calming myself by looking at beauty around me. And then I have my sessions throughout the day. I'm working with people. And in between each session, I schedule about five to 15 minutes to myself to get up and walk around the house, to take a moment to calm myself down, do some breathing, to allow my energy from whatever I just did to shift to focus on, okay, I can release and then go on to the next thing. And then I even end my days with another walk outside. And of course, eating healthy, eating tons of different, a wide variety of vegetables and plants because we need as much nutrients as possible in our gut to help us absorb and fight off any type of thing that comes our way. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show. This was really great. I think it was so interesting to learn about. Um, not something we talk about a lot with grief. So um, I hope it's helpful. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and allowing me to share with your listeners. Thanks, Mandy. Thank you so much, Dr. Novotny. This was a really interesting conversation. I also want to thank Stephen Bluestein, as always, for audio production. Next week, I'm talking with Natalie Nation, she is a graduate student, a future registered dietitian, a health educator, and a content creator. She is the producer and host of Feed That Nation, a podcast, a YouTube channel, and a blog where she talks about college life, college health, and college wellness. We talk next week about grief and nutrition and how they relate. Proper nutrition can be a challenge for any college student, but grieving students may have different challenges. And we talk about how to get the best bang for your buck from food when grief may affect things like sleep, memory, irritability, and concentration. I hope you will tune in next week to hear more about that. That's all for today. Good morning to all of you.